2: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prale in Fermina Kim. Los Angeles and Oakland take starring roles in the television shows Insecure, Hentified and Blindspotting, which bring audiences new takes on those cities and the people who live there. The shows follow Black and Latino characters trying to navigate adulthood, life choices and relationships, all amid rapidly changing neighborhoods. We talk about how those shows broke Hollywood norms, celebrate predominantly Black and Latino neighborhoods, and resonate with California viewers. And later, we'll pay tribute to the boundary breaking and Oscar winning actor Sir Sidney Poitier, who passed away yesterday at age 94. That's all next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Arianna Prale and Fermina Kim. There are TV shows and films that could take place anywhere, whatever location is easiest to shoot or secure. Then there are shows and films where the neighborhoods they take place in aren't just the setting, but a character in the story. That's the case for popular television shows like Insecure and Hentified, set in Los Angeles, and Blindspotting in Oakland. They feature Black and Latino characters navigating adulthood in big cities and neighborhoods that are familiar but also changing, making life decisions facing financial realities such as rising rents and low incomes. Today, we're looking at the impact these shows have had on Hollywood, the communities they feature, and the way they resonate for California viewers. Joining me is Makisha madden toby staff editor for TV Line. Welcome, Makisha. Thanks for having me. We also have Mala Munoz, writer, comedian, and co-host and co-producer of the podcast Locatora Radio. Welcome, Mala Munoz. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And we also have Danielle Broadway, freelance writer and editor, whose story last month for the Los Angeles Times is titled, How Insecure Achieved Its Mission to Forge a Real Bond with South LA. Welcome, Danielle.
3: Great to be here.
2: So Danielle Broadway I'd like to start with you because your piece actually sparked the idea for this segment. You write in your story that South LA, formerly labeled South Central, has been, quote unquote, frozen in time for too long when it comes to its depictions and representation on film and TV. Can you talk about that?
3: Yeah, of course. So, you know, we see a history um, of depicting South L.A. and in many ways, truthfully so, as a place that had to suffer from things like, you know, police brutality, the war on drugs and other, you know, systemically racist things that caused a lot of, you know, gang violence and perpetuated a lot of, you know, problems in the community. And so you had Black filmmakers that made films to reflect that reality. But just like anywhere else, over time, South L.A. changed and, you know, communities began to form and kind of try to clean up the community and try to recover from all of the systemic violence that it suffered from. And, With that came a sort of escape from that narrative of Hollywood. But unfortunately, that was that escape only existed for the people who lived there. Uh, So when you turn on your TV, the screen would still say, oh, there's violence. There's, you know, the South Central be afraid of it. Um, And so that's what I mean when I say frozen in time. And eventually how, you know, writers like Issa Rae changed that and kind of unfroze that narrative and saying, hey, Black people live in these neighborhoods, and they're just, they're happy. They build communities. It's not about crime. It's not about drugs. It's not about this one narrative.
2: Right. So, yeah, so Insecure comes along, and it's a show that follows character Issa D, not Issa Ray, but Issa D, starring Issa Rae, and her best friend Molly as they navigate friendship, work, relationships in L.A., and you write that it's part of the show's creator and star Issa Ray's mission to showcase South, L- South L.A. and black neighborhoods. Let's actually hear a cut of Issa Ray and showrunner Prentice Penny talking on Insecure Wind Down about the series finale of Insecure.
4: Why was it important for you to sort of make a show that was sort of a love letter, not just to L.A., but the specific part of L.A. that normally doesn't get seen?
5: I think it's that, you know, it's what you just said. And it's just, I felt like L.A. is always represented as either Hollywood, the glamour and glitz, or the hood. And the in-between doesn't really exist, um, especially the in-between as it relates to us. And um, that was so important for me to portray.
2: So Danielle Broadway, yeah, let's talk about that in between a little bit, because you spoke with both Issa Rae and Princess Penny for your piece. What did they highlight for you about that mission? What did that mission look like in action on the show?
3: So it looked like authenticity. And I think that that was such an important thing that Issa Rae said she said, "Why would we depict a place that's different from where we grew up? Like both Prentice and Issa are from the View Park Windsor Hills neighborhood. They grew up there. They grew up going to the stores and knowing the local businesses. They have family close by. That's their home. And so when it comes to, you know, that mission that they had, they didn't want to film it somewhere else. They didn't want to" you know, kind of create this somewhat true narrative of what they grew up around. They wanted people to be able to see, hey, this is the the corner market we went to. And this is, you know, the the, um, restaurant that we enjoy going to. So it was about the events, about the businesses, the landmarks, the, um, you know, community that they wanted to share with other people because they didn't want to create something that was just another copy of, a, you know, a glamorized Hollywood, you know, made show, they wanted something that was real to them.
2: And also in Insecure The End, which is a documentary released recently about the last season of the show, Issa Rae talks about how the Dunes apartment complex in Inglewood, featured in a couple of the show's seasons, is now like the Hollywood sign. People seek it out to take pictures, they tag her in them. It's a new kind of Hollywood, I mean a new kind of L.A. monument, which feels special, right?
3: Yes, it's so funny. So um, I follow an Insecure um, fan group on Facebook. And, you know, there's over over, like thousands of members on this one. And People post their pictures by the dunes all the time. And it's just one of those things where everybody celebrates and, you know, you see the the pictures circulate all over social media and even, you know, like on TikTok and things like that. And it really is phenomenal how they put an apartment complex that nobody would have ever, you know, thought twice about on the map as something that people specifically go to L.A. for. Like when people plan their vacations there, you know, we're so used to hearing, oh, I'm going to Beverly Hills. I'm going to the Hollywood sign. I'm going oh, yeah, the to Walk all of of the Walk of Fame
2: and all of that. that. Yeah.
3: Exactly. But it's not it's not that anymore. It's I mean, of course, maybe that that's part of it. But people are so interested in going to the dunes, getting their pictures and feeling like they have this deeper connection to the show and to L.A.,
2: Mala Muñoz, another show I mentioned in the introduction is Gentefied, which takes place in the predominantly working class Latino neighborhood of Boyle Heights, east of downtown L.A. It's about three Mexican-American cousins chasing the American dream, for those not familiar, even while that dream threatens the things dear to them, including their neighborhood and the family-owned taco shop. We heard the cut of Issa Rae talking about there being a reality in between the glamorous Hollywood and the exaggerated hood L.A. that was important to showcase. What are some things these shows share in common in their approach and portrayals of everyday life, you think? I think that
6: both shows uh, do something really special with the locations that they are centering. Inglewood and Boyle Heights are both the sort of arts and culture meccas in Los Angeles for Black and Brown communities. And Boyle Heights is definitely uh, a place where local artists and creatives, especially creatives of color, are able to get their start and to get support from their communities and get their art out there. But art is also a place of conflict when we also think about the gentrification struggles in both locations. And in Boyle Heights, you have these storylines involving artists like Ana, who is a painter. Uh, You have the episode with the mariachi who is struggling to uh, make ends meet and find housing. He ends up leaving to Bakersfield because he got a job there. Um, Ana's living at home and her grandfather is helping to pay her rent. And so you have these, uh, these struggles with creating art. And finding place in Boyle Heights because of the cost of housing and because of this underlying current of gentrification that is like a character of its own in the show. Right.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. We are going to be talking more in depth about that as the, the show goes on. And I want to bring in Makisha Toby. It is significant that these shows star Black and Latino characters. They have a creative team of Black and Latino people behind the scenes. Can you talk about that?
7: Yes, it matters, right? It's not just important to see yourself on screen. It's important to know that the people who are creating the show that you're watching on screen come from people who look like the people represented. And as an African-American or Black person in America, watching a show like Insecure meant so much because, you know, like Danielle said, for so long, South Central L.A., which now is called South South L.A., um, was portrayed so negatively. And now to see it, you know, portrayed in this, Positive light, to see another side of LA, to see Black LA is just really exciting and it matters because people who created it did grow up there. You know, Issa Rae went to Amazing Grace uh, Conservatory, which is an acting school created by Wendy Raquel Robinson, an actress. And all of that matters. You know, the, the guy who played Thug Yoda, Tristan uh, w- Winger, is also, you know, grew up with her, went to the same high school, went to, child, uh, went to uh, King Drew High School. So all of those little pieces of authentic you know, important pieces of the story matter specifically to people who live in those areas and want to see themselves on screen.
2: Well, I'd like to invite our listeners into the conversation. Were you a fan of these shows? What did you enjoy most about seeing California on screen? What role did setting play for you as a viewer? And what are your reflections on these shows and representation in Hollywood? Give us a call now at 866 733 6786 that's 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And I know, Daniel Broadway, you're going to be leaving us at the break, so I just want to ask you one more question before we um, before you go. As a Californian, how do you think insecure showed that different story. And I know you're from Stockton originally, right? Is there something also that you would wish to see of a new representation of Stockton if you had, you know, if you got to dream up a show?
3: Yeah, I mean, of course, I just want people to know, first of all, no place is a monolith. Like you see one depiction and sometimes people make up their mind. They'll think, oh, this place is nothing but a hotbed for gangs and drugs. And yeah, being from Stockton, you get a bad rap because similar to South L.A., you know, for so long, the communities have been sort of pushed into this reputation of all you can be is, you know, kind of a failure city. All you can be is your worst days, but they miss the community building. They miss um, all of the businesses, all of the people that are dreaming big and working hard. Um, And I think that we need narratives like this. We need people to come in, you know, kind of like Issa Rae did and say, no, this is not all there is to my city. This is not all there is to my story. These are people, this is a thriving community. And what?" is most needed is positive representation. Give us a dynamic, diverse, and, you know, a collectivistic environment and we'll be fine.
2: And Daniel Broadway, freelance writer and editor, author of the LA Times article, How Insecure Achieved Its Mission to Forge a Real Bond with South LA. Thanks for joining us, Danielle. And we'll be back with Makisha Madden Toby, staff writer at TV Line, and Mala Munoz, writer, comedian, and co host and co producer of the podcast Locator Radio. Stay tuned for more. I'm Mariana Prale and Fermina Kim. You're listening to Forum.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. We're talking about how the television shows Insecure, Hentified, and Blindspotting bring audiences new takes on California cities and the people who live here, who live there. I'm joined by Danielle—oh, sorry, not Danielle, Broadway, we let her go. But we're joined by Makisha Toby, staff editor at TV Line, Mala Munoz, writer, comedian, and co-host and co-producer of the podcast Locatora Radio, and another show that I want to bring up is Blind Spotting, which takes a similar approach to Oakland, highlighting a specific subculture of the city.
4: Boomshot? Ooh, boing. Boomshot? It's weird. Boing. Why that's weird. Ooh, boing. Uh. boing. Hello, everybody. Hi.
9: I'd like to introduce you to the Thizzle Dance. Thizzle Dance?
2: So that's a bit of Mack Dre's The Thistle Dance, which is featured in Blind Spotting. And join us now to talk about that and more is Nigella McMean, writer and filmmaker from the East Bay, who has written for the show Blind Spotting, directed for Insecure, and whose 2018 feature film Jin tells the coming of age story of a Bay Area teen. Welcome, Nigella.
10: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
2: Yes, thanks so much for being here. Uh, just a brief note for our audience: we go way back. We knew, we met each other in college in June Jordan's poetry for the people. So it's really great to to talk with you and catch up.
10: Definitely, definitely. Thank you.
2: So, what was it like being in the writer's room of Blind Spotting? Take us into that world.
10: Well, being in the the writer's room was a very uh, unique experience because Blind Spotting, as we know, was a feature film. So a world was already created and envisioned by uh, Raphael Cassell and David Diggs, and they really wanted to expand that world um, and really take it in a new direction. Um, They saw my film, Jen, and they really wanted me to be a part of helping to expand the world. Um, So there was a lot of you know, development of of new characters and also of characters who are in the film who weren't um, the lead characters. Um, the character of Ashley was someone who would lead the series. Um, she is Miles' um, uh, fiance or girlfriend in the movie, and we really wanted to highlight her voice and her her journey as well as as well as a lot of other women in the series. So it was a really um, big accomplishment for me to be invited to be a part of that. I really enjoyed the film and I think Raphael and David are, you know, really great storytellers. So it was a really, really creative um, environment and a lot of ideas um, really came out in the process of developing the show.
2: And how, as a writer, do you make a city a character?
10: I really think it's it's about specificity. It's about really well being from that city is a big thing, and knowing um, locations that hold uh, really deep meanings. To your development and to who you are as a person. And when you are developing the show, um, as in blind spotting and insecure, you're able to bring those locations, those neighborhoods, those businesses into the story because you have this emotional attachment to them. Um, and I experienced that on both shows where I understood that the creators of these shows had a relationship to these locations. And in that way, the location became an extension of the characters in the show. And they're also able to add a sense of credibility to the show when the audience is a lot of time, the audience for these shows come from these areas and they're able to watch and and really grasp the world that they're from. It just is a very exciting feeling to be able to, watch a show and and see a place that you grew up in that's never been seen on on TV before in a film before in that way, it adds depth and meaning. But I think a lot of it, like I said, is about um, the creators having this emotional connection to these places. And in order to tell the story, they need to bring these locations into the story.
2: All right. Well, we have a clip of Rafael Casal, co-creator and showrunner for Blindspotting during an interview he did on Forum last July with Alexis Madrigal, where he talks about representing Oakland to a wider audience. Let's listen.
4: There's this thing that w- the, the, the bro was just talking about, about like leaving and coming back and looking back on it. You do suddenly realize that like, while you've lived in the nuance of the Bay for your whole life, nobody knows anything about it. And in, in making the show, this is the thing that like we have to come back to all the time is like, We have to get people in France and Brazil and like all over the world to understand the essence of what it means to be from the Bay and grow up there. And so we're both juggling like hyper-specificity for the local audience, but the the mounting, you know, audience that we have to satisfy is this global, you know, Star sounds like somewhat like 30 million subscribers or something. (laughs) We have to satisfy this massive audience and then also get it right for for local folks and I think that's been the trip is like what are the what are the precious things we have to get in that are hyper specific and then what are the sort of feelings and essences of the place that we have to communicate and translate across continent and across languages
2: again that was Rafael Cazal co-creator of Blind Spotting talking to Alexis Madrigal last July and Yeah, so what, so Nigella, what were the things you wanted and got to show about Oakland to really capture that hyper specificity that he was referencing?
10: Right. I I think a lot of times when I talk to people about Oakland who've never been there, they have these, um, these kind of images of it or understandings that are so far from what I know of Oakland in the East Bay, usually related to violence or some kind of physical aggression. And for me, I really wanted to get away from that um, within uh, blind spotting as a writer and in my own work, because I have another film that I'm developing that's set in the East Bay called Mosswood Park. But Getting to locations that have this uh, cultural significance in Oakland, like there's an episode in Blind Spotting where we're in Marcus Bookstore, and the grandmother's character played by Helen Hunt is looking for some children's books about incarcerated parents. And it was a very special moment for me because I grew up going to Marcus Bookstore, um, a Black-owned bookstore, one of the longest running in the country, I think. And I think we just don't see that. Um, there was also a lot of discussion around just places in the Bay that we know that the world needs to know. Um, that we have beautiful beaches that you can go up to Pacifica or Half Moon Bay and really see some some beautiful um, kind of nature and, and scenic. Views And we we did that in an episode. There's an episode where they're in um, Joaquin Miller Park, um, the two characters, and it's kind of a, a love story theme there. And that was just really important to show that there's so much more to Oakland and to the Bay than the images that that are continually fed us in the mainstream and in the news mainstream news culture. So I was really invested in that, like how can we bring um, these nuanced textured images lo- related to locations into this story and also show the world like a, a, different, a different image. Um, we're, we're also at the Oakland port. Um, in the series, we have a character whose growth is really related to him being able to go out on this boat at the port and, and let go of being on probation, and having this cord attached to him. So, a lot of these locations that are in blind spotting have, like I said, a very deep significance to the characters. Um, the Bay Area people know them, people outside the Bay might not know these places but it just gives the world so much more texture and beauty and nuance to see these places that haven't been seen before
2: yeah because you've talked about how having specific locations in a show adds credibility too and you've spoken about how coach carter the film that was supposed to be said in richmond didn't really get that right can you talk a bit about that
10: yeah, I was actually watching Coach Carter the other night. It was on TV and I was like, wow, this is set in Richmond and I was like, wow, this seems like it's it's set in the East Coast, even the way the characters are talking, like their language. And I just I was like, wow, this is such a missed opportunity uh to showcase Richmond as a city, another city that we just don't see a lot of. I I've, I've lived in El Cerrito, I I'm familiar with Richmond, but I just think when when Bay Area people walk watch a movie like coach Carter a lot of them are like what is this (laughs) and you yeah you you that's a loss you lose your audience when when in this day and time when you're trying to really tell this specific story like blind spotting and secure a very specific story set in specific worlds and you haven't done your homework so I think it's it's really important especially the time we're in to to have that credibility because you're you're wanting to reach that core audience who's from that area and you're also wanting to reach a larger audience and I think both of them can 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 see when something is or sense when something is not right in terms of the representation of these, um, these cities.
2: Well, I know we have to let you go now. So thanks so much for joining us to, to talk about your perspective as a writer and filmmaker, and we'll keep our eyes peeled for uh, Mosswood Park, which I know is in development right now, right?
10: Yes, it's in development. It's a four chapter love story set in the East Bay across Oakland, Hayward, Berkeley, and it's something that I've been working on for years. So it's my own love letter to the Bay and also very specific in all the locations that we've been talking about and ones that, you know, we've never seen on a film.
2: So I'm excited. Well, we're excited for it too. Nigel Mufmeen, writer and filmmaker from the East Bay, who has written for the show Blind Spotting, directed for Insecure, and whose 2018 feature film Jin tells the coming of age story of a Bay Area teen. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ariana. Thank you. Yes, take care. And just a reminder that you, our listeners, are invited to join our conversation. If you were a fan of these shows, what did you enjoy most about seeing California on screen? What role did setting play for you as a viewer? And also, what's a California city or neighborhood or community that you'd love to see represented on screen for the first time or in a more authentic way? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Robert writes, beyond the location, Insecure and Hentified did an amazing job at showcasing local musicians. Insecure heavily featured a Lamert Park native musician in Thundercat, and Hentified included young Latino creatives like La Santa Cecilia, uh, Cuco, La Doña, and more. I loved that they thought through every avenue in which they could showcase black and brown creatives. And Mala Muñoz, that's something that you were mentioning in terms of art being a centerpiece of these. What's your reaction to Robert's comment?
6: I agree completely. Even down to the wardrobe and accessories uh, and the way that they decorated sets, you can see specific uh, Latina and Latino-owned brands and For example, Espacio 1839, um, some of their merch uh, was featured in Hentified. And it's really cool to see the amount of thought and the attention to detail as far as incorporating the community. And I think that's one of the reasons why the show has been so well received is because they took their time and they took pains to connect with residents artists and activists who had something to do with the ar- the area and um, had something to say about the creation of a show like this.
2: Well, there is another side to the story of representation um, that, Mala, you brought up earlier as well, and that's one of gentrification. When you put these neighborhoods on the map for viewers all over the world to see, it can disrupt as much as it showcases, right? And this type of tension is something the show creators themselves grappled with. So let's hear from uh, show creator Issa Ray. And then right after that, we'll also hear from creator Linda Yvette Chavez of Hentified on kind of how they grappled with some of those issues. Here's Issa Rae.
5: You know, I, I've definitely gotten blamed for the influx of tech bros and the Hollywood communities wanting to move here in that way. I'm like, ah, oh, damn, that was not the intention. I just wanted to showcase how beautiful... Our neighborhoods are, um, but I do love that at least the show will be a time capsule of the fact that these were very Black neighborhoods and proud Black neighborhoods.
1: And also just like, you know, the gentrification, hentification of it all for me was like so true to my life in that moment. Like being a young professional, having all my friends, all of us are, are children of immigrants. We all are first gen all, a lot of our parents came here and documented like we had grown up with that American dream being seated in us so strongly. And so we were coming into that upward mobility, but then finding ourselves wondering as we moved into neighborhoods where we felt most comfortable and felt like home. Like because I lived like in West Adams, this community in, in um, L.A. that's predominantly Central American and. And Caribbean and, and it was it's people, people of color. And I felt comfortable there when I was going to grad school. I was like, this is where I want to live. But how am I contributing to the gentrification, even though I'm a person of color? Does it does that include me? Am I also a part of the problem?
2: So that was Lindy Vet Chavez, co-creator of Hentified, speaking on the podcast Latina to Latina. And before we heard Issa Ray, who was speaking with LA Times Entertainment Podcast, the envelope. Makisha, Matt, and Toby, what are your thoughts on their comments? Do people of color add to gentrification when they try to start businesses or bring business to their communities? How do you see that tension?
7: Right. I think what's really fascinating about what Issa says specifically is that she has a business in Inglewood, sort of Inglewood, LA adjacent area. And that was the thing. She's economically gentrifying an area. And that, you know, people don't always think about gentrification. Uh, when a black person or a, person, a brown person does it but it can happen like economically you can gentrify an area and what does that look like how does that feel for people who been there this whole time and like suddenly they're being priced out you know I mean I, I understand her struggle but I also commend her for showing a part of the city that wasn't being shown you know I mean I guess it's it's sort of the downside of progress right if you you do a great thing, and everybody's like, "Yay!" But part of that celebration will always have a consequence, and sometimes the consequence is bringing even more attention and bringing in, you know, non-black and brown people into that area.
2: Amala Munoz, how do you highlight a neighborhood undergoing gentrification without attracting more gentrification? That's really the premise of hentified, right? which plays on the term hentification, describing young upwardly mobile Latinos who move back or try to give back to their old neighborhoods. What lessons and commentary can we take from that show on the complexities of this representation?
6: yeah, it it brings up, I think, the reality that Gentrification is a policy failure. And when Mm -hmm. policy creates unstable housing markets where there's little to no rent control, there's little to no affordable housing, there's little to no protections for renters and homeowners, you set up a situation where our most vulnerable working class neighborhoods are in a sort of perpetual state of cyclical gentrification. And in a place like Boyle Heights, um, even in a place like South LA, the the communities that we see now did not always look like that 50 years ago. You know, Boyle Heights used to be heavily Japanese and Jewish. um, And before it was uh, very homogeneously Mexican and Latino. And um, the neighborhood I live in was once very Greek um, and very Jewish and very Black also at one time before it was Uh, Mexican and Central American. And so as long as there is continuous uh, policy failure and continuous insecure housing, our neighborhoods are continuously in flux. And I appreciate Issa's uh, comment about her show just being a time capsule of that specific Mm -hmm. moment, because I personally uh, think that in the conversation about gentrification in light of policy, and resources that no one show is the driving force behind a new wave of gentrification or no one gallery is the driving force behind a new wave of gentrification. I think it's much bigger than that. And um, when we grow up in, in our working class communities where we've gone to school and where we've paid taxes, if we're not reinvesting in the communities we grew up in and we invested in economically our whole lives, then we're taking that money elsewhere to p- places like Pasadena and uh now now where are we missing out in that exchange so i think it's complicated and i think the shows are are capturing more than um you know creating
2: damage yeah. We're talking with Makisha Marantobi, staff editor at TV Line and Mala Munoz, writer, comedian and co-host and co-producer of the podcast Locatora Radio about television shows Insecure, Hentified and Blind Spotty, and their take on California cities. We'll be back with more after the break. I'm Ariana Prail. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail and Fermina Kim. We're talking about how the telev- television shows Insecure, Hentified, and Blind Spotting bring audiences new takes on California cities and the people who live there. I'm joined by Makisha Madden a staff editor for TV Line, and Mala Munoz, writer, comedian, and co-host and co-producer of the podcast Locatora Radio. And you are listeners. Were you a fan of these shows? What did you enjoy most about them? And what's a California city, neighborhood, or community that you'd love to see represented on screen for the first time or in a more authentic way? Call us at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Let's go to a caller, Doug, um, in the Bay Area. Doug, you're on.
11: Yeah. Hi there. Um, can you hear me okay?
2: Yep. Go right ahead.
11: Great. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I, I love the the topic. Um, and I was just calling in response to a comment. I, I don't recall who exactly said it about tech bros moving to Oakland. Oh, um, uh, that I'm was Issa Rae. You
2: know, Issa Ray Okay. Yeah. I'm Issa Ray.
11: <laughs> yeah. No worries. And I and I totally get it. You know, the, a lot of these communities have been long-standing. You know, proud Black communities. Um, and I am a Caucasian. You know, professional male in the, in the Bay Area, <laughs> you know, you may consider me a tech bro. And I just wanted to kind of, um, pose a sort of a counterpoint that one of the reasons why a lot of folks like me that, that are of the skin color that I am and, you know, my professional background are moving to places like Oakland is specifically because of that ethnic diversity. One of my big, my, my and a lot of my friends complaints about San Francisco and a lot of areas around the Bay Area is that they, they are too homogenous of, Caucasian, you know, tech bros, you know, a lot, really, really homogenous. And I just wanted to share that, you know, there's a component, and I totally get it. That like, ge- there's this side of it that's gentrification. The neighborhoods are changing, and maybe you know, rent prices are increasing, and that is unfortunate. I, there's no doubt about it. But there is also a beauty to the integration that that comes along with that. That people of other ethnic backgrounds are moving into the into these communities. And I think that we should really embrace that just just as, as much as I would really embrace more folks of different uh, different ethnic backgrounds moving into San Francisco. I live in Pacifica, for example. You know, it's pretty homogenous. And I think that we should really be striving for a blending and people moving all over the place and, and really diversifying across the entire Bay Area and Brooklyn, for that matter, um, instead of staying so segregated as we have been in the Bay Area for so many years. So thanks, thanks. For, thanks for, very much for taking my call.
2: Thanks for sharing your comment, Doug. I mean, Mala Munoz, it's, he's raising some things that I think kind of stem a little from what you were commenting on before the break in terms of, yes, that's that's an ideal, but kind of where are we in the kind of the reality and the policy and the equality issues here? Do you have any kind of reaction to, to what Doug shared?
6: Absolutely. I think it's a really common sort of point of view that is shared from by people uh, who would be labeled or considered gentrifiers. You know, I think we all try and find the the good in something, especially when it seems to be s- such a huge phenomenon that who what one person has control over the way that gentrification goes, right? But I think part of it is like, look, if people's basic needs are not met, if a community is housing insecure and is at risk of homelessness, I mean, over the past few years, uh, in communities where you never saw such a thing, senoras, old ladies, you know, living in tents on the side of the freeway, very, very obviously newly homeless. And as long as our folks uh, do not have secure housing, all these other nice, lovely, you know, I- ideas like diversity and integration um are sort of secondary, you know, when folks are struggling to survive. And it really is a matter of very basic needs being met. And these are people who were already in housing. But again, because of policy failure, no rent control, no protections, uh, they're, they're being forced out of their housing. And we are creating newly homeless people at a very rapid clip because of our our governments and the way that our housing systems are set up. If our basic needs are met, if, if our folks have housing and we can retire peacefully in the cities where we've worked all of our lives, then we can care less about, you know, who moved into the neighborhood or the new coffee shop down the street that right. we can enjoy those things now.
2: Let's go to some more listener comments on some of the wishes that people see or appreciations out there for other content. A listener tweets, Warrior on Hulu, although historical fiction showcased Chinese history in San Francisco and California in a way that feels new and fresh, in light of anti-Asian hate in the last year during the pandemic, it felt important to see this. And Michael tweets a neighborhood in Sunnyvale representing the real history of Silicon Valley with everyone from retired Lockheed workers to semiconductor workers to computer hardware makers to Asian immigrants working for Google. And let's go to another caller, Monica in Berkeley. Monica, you're on.
9: Hi, I'm just going to pull over real quick. I'm driving. Um, Yeah, so I grew up in L.A. and I've been in the Bay Area for about 10 years. I definitely experienced a lot of neighborhoods in L.A. as an artist, and um, one of the things that really kind of bugs me now is um, the fact that Mexican directors have won Oscar awards, but I haven't seen their flicks uh, focusing on, for example, I would love to see a historical piece on the mythology of Mexican people. Um, There's a lot of great magical, surrealism type of stories that could be produced. And I'm just kind of waiting for it to happen. Um, Netflix was supposed to come out with one, but it never happened um, based off of, I think it was 100 Years of Solitude. Um, Also, there's a lot of stories about mixed, uh, ethnically mixed groups in L.A. in that artist scene. And there's now I see generations of it. Um, and I think it's just, there, I would love to see stories on that. Um Those are my stories. And um I just think uh there's a lot to be said there. And yes, I did feel like I, in some way, gentrified the area in Echo Park, for example, um, and I felt guilty about it. But at the same time, I totally agree with the speaker talking about policy on housing. And there's a housing crisis, not just in California, but The entire U.S. So definitely we need solutions in in that shape, way and form. And I don't believe that when you're starting a business, I don't believe that you just come and take over. You should include the community. You should integrate the community um, for the success of all. Um, I think that's going to be part of the solution. Well, thanks for
2: sharing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your comments with us. Monica, and Makisha, Matt, and Toby, it just makes me think about, you know, this, this greater representation question, and Issa Rae is credited as using the show Insecure as a catalyst for Black creators and workers, as we've spoken about, and a documentary about the show Talks um, brings up how that art is kind of part of the Revolution Act. We actually have a cut from actor Kendrick Sampson, who plays Nathan in Insecure. Um, speaking, you'll hear him speaking to Issa Rae and kind of giving her her props as they wrap the final season. Let's listen.
4: This show has been a part of the revolution. The way you showcase our humanity and portray us with grace and accountability, the way you love your city, the way you love your people, black people in your city is part of the revolution. Together, y'all shifted culture. There is no revolution without art.
2: So, Makisha Matt, and Toby, what do you think about his assertion, one that, you know, there is no revolution without art? And do you agree that Insecure was part of that revolution? And what other change do you see coming from it?
7: I never noticed until I watched the documentary, by the way, just in the side, of, um, that he sounds so much like Common. This is funny.
2: Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs>
7: no, I, I think he's right. No, I think he's, there's definitely something to what he said, right? I mean, like, without Insecure, there is no Harlem on Amazon. There is no Run the World on Stars. It's amazing that, you know, you look at a show like Living Single and then there was nothing after that, like, until Insecure in terms of showing Black women friendships on television. And those narratives are necessary and Black women want to see themselves and Black women are consumers that, like, have a huge influence on what you see in terms of, like, buying power. Um, Tyler Perry has sisters, which you know, showcases five black women in Atlanta. So there is something to that, and I do definitely credit Issa for doing that because she celebrated black women friendships and showed that it's a viable source of, <laughs> of you know, commercialism if you want to look at it like that way, or just but, but it's a story worth telling, right? And there's there's money to be made from it, which is how studios look at it. Um, so, but but the amazing thing is all the writers that came out of her show, right? You you, you have a show like. Grand Crew, which is on NBC now, and that comes from, you know, one of the writers, Phil Augusta Jackson, who wrote on Insecure. And so it's not just the influence she had on creating or or having shows created that sort of mirror, hopefully not, you know, imitate Insecure, but also, you know, like writers who come from the show who are now creating their own content. And that's the exciting part about, you know, that show is, is, is we'll be seeing what other shows come from that, from creators from the show, from writers from the show, all the opportunities that were created within the show like women directing episodes and writing episodes so it's exciting I mean Yvonne Orgy even has a development deal I think with Disney so it's it's and she played Molly it's just amazing Mm -hmm. that all of these things are coming out of this one show that was on for five seasons and and she ended on a high note I think even though (laughs) that's that's a debatable concept for people who didn't want her to end up with spoiler with Lawrence um but (laughs) (laughs)
2: um, Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought.
7: <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, that. that's, but that's exciting, right? That even that people were that, that invested and right. had all of that to say, and that Twitter blew up and it was trending for two days shows you the influence that it had on, on people watching it and how people, how excited and invested people were.
2: Well, this listener tweet, 60 year old white woman here loved Insecure, loved getting to know these bright, articulate, stylish black women, loved hearing the slang, seeing their outfits and their love for one another. So, again, broadening the, the imagery. Um, a listener, another listener writes, I loved both Insecure and Hentified because they told stories of young people in a way that honors and explores their identities while also showing complexity. For example, you can have a college degree and not have your life together or you have a community um, or you have a community but be, not be able to afford to live in it. A very California reality. And Mala Munoz, the creators of Blindspotting and Hentified have expressed similar desires to help rather than hurt their communities and provide a new playbook for future shows. Do you see these shows as catalysts for change? And if so, what kind of change?
6: I do. Uh, I think much in the way that Issa has provided a launch pad for all of these amazing writers and and creators, filmmakers, TV makers. I think the same thing is happening on the Hentified side of things. Uh, I think uh, the cast, Annie Gonzalez, Carlos Santos, Melina Bobadilla, Julissa Calderon, these are incredibly talented, hilarious, um, dynamic actors, actresses, comedians. And I'm seeing them getting cast in a, a ton of other Work on Amazon Prime, um, on uh, HBO Max, what have you. And it's exciting to see. So I think that art begets more art, and our communities can always use more. And um, I want us to come to a place where we can see art making as inherently ours and not something that is uh, a whitewashing or a gentrifying or a negative, but it's. It's something that we should be able to do, and uh, to to duplicate and do more of.
2: Again, you're listening to Forum. I'm Ariana Prale and Fermina Kim. Luis writes as a first generation Mexican American that grew up poor. I'm, I've never seen or heard of any media that tells a story similar to mine. I grew up on food stamps and Section Eight housing, and my only Christmas gifts growing up were from the Salvation Army. However, growing up in Santa Cruz, I still went to school with kids that were from families that were fairly high income, which brought its own set of issues that I very, very rarely see discussed. Are there any shows or movies that would share this experience that your guests could recommend? And I'm gonna piggyback on that to kind of flip the question we've been asking our audience um, to you, Mala and Makisha, what's a California city or neighborhood or community that you'd love to see represented um, for the first time or in a more authentic way? Um, And yeah, and if you also want to shout out other existing shows that you think could be a reference for Luis or that you're just excited about, um, even if they don't necessarily apply specifically to his story. I know that you were, Makisha, you were mentioning Harlem, for example, and Grand Cru. Uh, Makisha, are there others that come to mind for you?
7: Oh, for Luis, I was going to say, make sure he probably has already seen it, but On My Block, even though it's centered in a fictional Southern California city, it still really, I think, wonderfully captures that sort of you know uh, Southern California vibe and and you know gang culture and what that feels like. And then one of the characters, you know, goes on away to a higher end boarding school. So it definitely taps into that and you know just not the diversity in terms of race, but also diversity in terms of class. So I, I highly recommend that show. Um, in terms of neighborhoods I want to see get shouted shouted out on television or you'd love to see explore. I wouldn't mind like I live in South Bay now. I'm in Carson. So that would be really cool, but maybe not. Maybe I'd leave that alone um, or they could go further south and do Long Beach.
2: <laughs> so. Oh, Nice. Yep. Shout out to Carson, where my grandmother lives. Um, oh, see. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Mala Munoz. Uh, what about you? Do you have any recommendations for Luis or just another show that you you have on your wish list to see put out there?
6: Yeah, so there's actually a web series uh, that I love and that is riveting and hilarious and amazing, and it's called Undocu Tales, Undocumented Tales, and it's independently produced, uh, multiple seasons on YouTube, and I know that they're they're constantly fundraising, and I, I'd love to see that show get picked up. And it's about a queer undocumented uh, Mexicano who works in kitchens in LA and is living the working class, undocumented. Queer struggle and it's hilarious and it's a heartwarming show. It's so well written, English and Spanish, very queer, very Mexican. So if you're into that, I would recommend checking out andocu Tales on YouTube. And as far as an area that I would like to see represented, I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley, um, which is like uh, a uh, uh, 22 different cities that come together to make this big, huge valley um, east of East in LA. And very Latino, very Asian, very diverse. And I've never seen it on TV or in film. And um, I'd love to see the SGV make it into mainstream media because it's an interesting place with a lot of stories.
2: Mala Munoz, writer, comedian and co-host and co-producer of the podcast Locatora Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Makisha Toby, staff editor for TV Line. Thanks for being with this conversation in this conversation as well. Thanks for having me, this was so much fun. Yeah, we got to talk about how the television shows Insecure, Hentified and *Blind Spotting* brought audiences new takes on California cities and paved some paths. And on the topic of paving new paths in Hollywood, want to remember the legendary actor Sidney Poitier who passed away last night at the age of 94. He was widely acclaimed for his roles in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Porgy and Bess, Raisin in the Sun, and Lilies of the Field, for which he won an Academy Award for Best Actor, becoming the first black performer to do so. He's also remembered for his efforts to elevate actors of color who followed him, and we'll listen to him now as he received an honorary Oscar in 2002 for his body of work.
0: I arrived in Hollywood at the age of 22 in a time different than today's. A time in which the odds against my standing here tonight, 53 years later, would not have fallen in my favor. Back then, no route had been established for where I was hoping to go. No pathway left in evidence for me to trace. No custom for me to follow. Yet here I am this evening at the end of a journey that in 1949 would have been considered almost impossible.
2: Well, certainly many more opportunities are possible today. Thanks, Cindy Poitier. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us. Mina Kim will be back on Monday. I'm Arianna Prail. This is Forum.